Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, sister. How are you? Alhamdulillah, I'm well, sister. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah. Okay, so inshallah, just to clarify for the listeners, today I will be conducting the interview. Um, and inshallah, we'll get to know the lovely sister behind the Naqabi Diaries podcast. I'm sure inshallah, we are all very excited to hear about your story. It may okay. end up being the most um, uninteresting story of all the stories. <laughs> Because I don't, I don't think I have anything so majorly like amazing to share. But okay, inshallah, a lot of people keep asking me, and I suppose it's only fair if I ask people to be interviewed. I do mine as well. No, inshallah, inshallah, it'll be good. Oh, good, it'll be good, inshallah. Okay. So, sister, um, what has made you want to wear the niqab? Um, I I wanted to wear the niqab like literally ever since I became Muslim, like. When I, um, yeah, I just like found it in fa- fascinating and when I met lots of sisters, like I used to go to the masjid in Brixton, um, London, mm-hmm. and there was, mashallah, like I, I can't think of that there was even one sister who wasn't wearing it. Um, when I used to go to like the class and things like that, and I really just loved how they behaved and yeah, like the different cultures and it was a real mix of sisters and everybody was different, even though like everybody was like covering and wearing the niqab. So I found that really quite nice because I think um, from a young age, mm-hmm. from a young age when I used to wear the, um, well, when I wasn't Muslim, basically, when I used to see women who wear the niqab, for example, in the market, they was like, well, from my, my, I remember my grandmother, she always used to think that, you know, these women, they can't speak English. And, you know, you get these perceptions that people have of, like, sisters who are covering their face and stuff like that. And sometimes maybe they couldn't speak English. But when I got to, when I used to go to the masjids, um, this was my first, like, personal experience, actually, like, interacting with sisters who were the niqab. And I just thought it was amazing because there were sisters who was like me from African Caribbean backgrounds and sisters who were Asian, sisters who were Arab. And um, yeah, I just liked it, and I knew that wow. it is like hijab, so that was my main kind of reason. But I mean, I didn't wear it straight away. Yeah. Okay, so you initially got inspired by those sisters. Yeah. Okay, so when you did finally wear it, how what did you find it easy to wear it or not? Um, I think yes, in the end I did. I mean, it took me many years. I didn't get to that point until many years later. But um, yeah, when I started wearing it, alhamdulillah, I had just moved house. Um, Mm -hmm. Not just, just, but like quite recently moved house. And um, then my daughter, she, um, it was maybe a few months. My daughter was, um, she started going to a new school. And um, then I thought to myself, okay, if my daughter's going to be going to this new school, like it'll be a good chance for me to just start wearing it like from now and in my mind I kind of thought to myself I'm just going to give it a go kind of thing you know like I'll just see what it's like because I think I'd spoken to my best friend at the time about it and she's Mm -hmm. she wasn't she's not somebody who wears the niqab but I think sometimes she would wear it occasionally like you know if she was going to like a, a party or something and she's done like makeup and she wants to like hide you know that she's got makeup on these kind of things she would she would do that she'd wear the niqab and she just said yeah you know just try it out like if you and see how you get on do you know what I mean if you if you don't feel comfortable then you don't have to keep wearing it so I thought okay yeah I'll just do it and I'll do it from today since my daughter's starting a new school 
So I'll just wear it so that if I do carry on wearing it, then at least like it will be something people already know. That's like my starting point kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? It's not like, oh, they see me, my face and everything and they get used to me being a certain way. And then I, afterwards, then I have to kind of do like something different because that I think that makes things difficult for people a lot of the time when you know that people are used to seeing you a certain way and then yeah. you change. <laughs> so yeah, Alhamdulillah, I did that. Um, and then um, I I went. I think I that was the first day, and I think I think that same day I went. I had a meeting at the Islamic Center. Um, yeah, because I wanted to do volunteering. As far as I remember, yeah, I think I wanted to do volunteering. And basically, when I'd made the appointment to do the volunteering, I wasn't wearing the neck up. Okay, so I just had my hijab and everything. And then yeah, when I went for the meeting, the brother said to me, "Oh, by the way, congratulations on neck up." And I thought oh, to myself, really yeah, and I thought to myself, alhamdulillah, like, you know, because I thought, well, actually, I did like wearing the niqab. This is what I, this is what I, like, always wanted since I'd become Muslim. It's like, it took me years to get to this point. So why would I only just try it out? Like, let me just carry on wearing it. So then I did, basically. Yeah, so alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So you mentioned how it took you years. How long did it take you from the point where you became Muslim to when you were in Uh I think it was about 10 years. Okay. And how yeah. long have you been wearing it now? About 10 years. Long yeah. Vedic. Long yeah, Vedic. That's amazing. So have you found, have you faced any abuse while you've been wearing it for these past 10 years? Um, abuse. Um, I, don't, I don't really think so. I think um, there was a time when uh, somebody asked me. I think it was like an English guy, a bit like older, and he, and he, um, I was outside the fruit and vegetable shop, and he just said, "Oh, like, oh, how can you even see?" And I just turned and I said, "With my eyes, like, do you know what I mean, <laughs> <laughs> just like, do you know what I mean, like, I just thought to myself, like, what a stupid question, do you know what I mean? But that was that was it, and um." Um, another time, another time I was in the town and um, I live in Newcastle, so it's really small. So um, I was in the town with my kids. They was quite small at the time still. And um, yeah, somebody, somebody said like Al-Qaeda. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I was like, all right then. Yeah. And another time in the Morrison supermarket, somebody said um, Taliban. I was like, all right then. Yeah. But like I literally, huge misconception. With yeah, makeup. they always put that image with extremists, and yeah. it really, it really angers me. Subhanallah, that. And I feel like I'm, I'm really happy now that there's many sisters on social media showing that no, we're not. That you know, it's not just extremists that wear the niqab. Subhanallah. Mm, yeah, back back to how many years it took me to wear it. It wasn't. It was not. It's not ten years. It didn't take me ten years. I've been wearing it for ten years, and it was seven. It should be about seven years took me to wear it because I've been Muslim for about eighteen years now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's coming up. It would be yeah, yeah. Okay, well, so you mentioned how you became uh, you came into Islam. So when you wore the niqab, did you face any obstacles with your family? Um, no, um, alhamdulillah, I didn't actually at all. Um, my dad, um, when he first saw me wearing it, because actually when I started wearing the hijab, okay, when I, when I became Muslim and I started wearing the hijab and stuff, I remember like 
because um, I, well, I moved away to Newcastle to study and everything. And then my dad sometimes he would say like, oh, you know, you're living so far away and I worry about you because you're covering your face. And, and I said to him, I said, you know, I'm not covering my, covering my face. Like he always used to say, you're covering your face. And I was just like, yeah. well, I'm not covering my face though. I'm actually not. I'm just wearing the hijab because that's what I was wearing. So yeah. I was thinking like he would like, you know, he's African in it. So like, you know, African parents, they love to exaggerate a lot of the time. So like he would always say that you're covering your face. You're covering your... And in my mind, I used to think, oh, well, I really want to cover my face actually, but I haven't done that yet. So, okay, if you yeah. think I'm covering my face, inshallah, will I do? Hopefully you won't have a problem. And anyways, when I started wearing it and he saw me, um, when he came for his weekly visit and he saw me, he's like, oh, so you're wearing this now, are you? And I was just like, oh, I'm just trying it out. And that was it. He didn't he didn't ask me anything about it after that really. And um my mum, like, she was living abroad at the time. So mm-hmm. she, no nobody else really like in my family knew, but my siblings, like, they knew and stuff. And my brother asked me once, like, Oh, you're so beautiful, why are you covering your face? And I was just like, you know, it's like it's because of my religion and you know, there's something I've always wanted to do and things like that. And he was like, Okay, all right then. And that was kind of it. He wasn't like, you know, kind of like protesting against me wearing it or anything like that my sister my sisters they don't like they didn't have any like real issue with it I don't think they've never expressed any kind of like oh you know I wish you wouldn't wear that or anything like that so alhamdulillah it's been fine and my mum as well like when she saw that I was wearing it she was just she just hugged me she just said that she's proud of me so alhamdulillah just like yeah so I, we want, I wanted to know, what do you do for a living and do you work with it on as well? Like, how do you find it working with your naqab? Okay, well, alhamdulillah, I've done various jobs at the moment. I'm a hijama therapist. That's one thing that I do. And um, I'm self-employed, basically. So I've worked previously as a painter and decorator. That's what I used to do. Mm-hmm. So like, um, yes, I, I like with painting and decorating because I was working mostly in the Muslim community. And being a female doing like um, trades job, um, you get a lot of females that want you to work for them. So it was usually when I do like when I was doing the painting and decorating, it was quite you know it was quite easy because um, when you work for other women or even a married woman, for example, you're doing the work during the daytime. So and a lot of the like brothers, they feel more comfortable knowing that you know when their wife is at home and they're having house like work done in the house painting and stuff like that it's another woman in the house with them so they don't have to think oh well I'm leaving my wife at home and there's a male there do you know what I mean they didn't have to take time off yeah. work and stuff so that was quite like you know that always worked out alhamdulillah and um yeah I said I do the hijama and um, I'm an artist as well so I do focus on like selling my work online and these kind of things so that's basically it's I think yeah I had I had been working um part-time in the islamic center as well um recently but i'm no longer doing that at the moment so yeah alhamdulillah like since the lockdown and so everything tell us about the hijama inshallah because i'm very interested that sounds very interesting when yeah. did you start how did you learn okay alhamdulillah i've been doing hijama for about eight years now and i started um i think the when i first found out about hijama um i think it was like i was reading something on the islam q a website and i saw a hadith and it was saying now that um 
the Prophet ﷺ had cupping done and then one of his companions like was um, took the blood and he didn't know what to do with it and I was just like what's and I was thinking what is cupping what is cupping like I was really curious like I just thought like what is that so I looked into it and then I realized it was like you know bloodletting like removing like bad blood and things like that and I remember in um, history lessons in school we used to um, learn about um, you know people in the past how they used to do these kind of um, treatments and you know it was basically something that's seen as being backwards even like oh like how can removing blood like help you and things like that but that's obviously that's what people used to do in the past so I looked more into it and um, saw some videos on YouTube and I kind of tried to have a go like kind of um, had like a, well, a couple of friends that like you know were brave so they let me have a little mm -hmm. go on them. <laughs> <Mashallah>. <laughs> um yeah so it wasn't like I didn't do anything major I just like did like one cup on them or something like that um but yeah it was uh that's where it started and then um my I had I used to um be a student of Muhammad Tim Humble Allahumma barak lahu. so um yeah he used to um like, like we used to have lessons with him weekly here because he's from Newcastle as well but um basically he set up a um like a workshop for sisters to learn hijama in Newcastle that was taking place in South Shields. So he contacted me with that. Um, so I signed up for that, of course, alhamdulillah. And um, yeah, we, I did the workshop and um, I just loved it because obviously like this is what I've been waiting for. And, I, you know, subhanAllah, it was just something strange because like I'd been looking into it. But I hadn't told people like, oh, like I'm trying to learn hijama. I hadn't really gone further in. I didn't know that there was like courses or anything available that people could actually yeah. learn it in the UK. I assumed it was just something kind of like maybe in, you know, Muslim countries and stuff like that. But alhamdulillah, so I learned it. And then after doing the workshop, uh, then yeah, basically, um, Mohammed Tim, he would uh, refer people to me um, mm -hmm. to get hijama done, like as part of their rukia and these kinds of things. So um, that's where it really kind of like, took off you could say because uh, most of my um, initial clients were like like most of them were like for Rukia basically so I used to do hijama like every month with them and you know have to do Rukia like obviously because while you're doing hijama it's advisable that you do the Rukia as well while you're doing it so and I really loved that element because I felt like you know any day that I'm doing hijama like I feel like I'm reciting the Quran like so much so I really really liked that you know um yeah and that's, yeah that's, that's, that's basically it. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you with the hijama have you I wanted to, from your personal experiences and from the experiences of your clients what have they seen what benefits have they seen from doing the hijama um, from the, the Rukia perspective I think um, those clients that I've been seeing for many years now it really has helped them um, because like the Prophet ﷺ, he said that the um, shaitan flows through the blood like um, flows through the blood flows through the son of Adam like blood flows. So it is something that really does help them. And you'll notice even during treatments, like there's like sometimes reactions from the jinn or something like that. People like it's like they're fighting against it because they really hate having the hijama. And the clients mm -hmm. that I've had, um, you know, I've seen like over the years that they've really improved a lot in their condition it's less severe for example and obviously this is coupled with having rukia and 
not even having the rukia performed on them as such but like they're doing the rukia for themselves now so they've come like quite a long way where some of the clients i used to see they used to have to like have somebody do the rukia for them because they couldn't even like really do it themselves but now alhamdulillah they manage doing it themselves and you know keeping up with their prayers and things like that and from the like more physical aspect um the hijama helps um with so many different physical ailments i have a lot of clients that i um see that they for example have diabetes and they're not on medication at all or they have um for example the uh the th problems with thyroid and the hijama is what helps them to regulate those things um so it really does help a lot obviously with um diet has a big role to play in that as well so these are the things like when you do hijama for people you have to let them know that you know they can't carry on living a shabby lifestyle you know you've got to take care of your diet because this is part of the sunnah as well and Allah in the quran he tells us to eat um the halal and the tayyib things so you have to um encourage people to try to fix what they're eating but um yeah and even from the element of like physical pain and like back pain for example joint pain arthritis these kind of things it really does help as well like even after one session with many clients that i've um, treated they felt instant relief um, from those kind of things and usually i still recommend that they have at least three treatments to make sure that um, the problem is cleared in those areas and from me personally i've had like issues with my knee and um Alhamdulillah, like after doing the hijama, the problem went. So I've had like, I think a couple of times, like just from doing like, it's like sports injuries or like, you know, doing workouts and things like that, I've strained like tendons and mm -hmm. um, had swelling in certain, like in my knee area. And doing the hijama just completely relieved that. Um, there was a sister actually, speaking of knees, because this is one of my favorite places to actually do the hijama. Um, speaking of knees, a sister, she had fallen down the stairs and um like not complete not really broken her knee but twisted and it really got so swollen it was really like big and when it yeah. when she was able to walk again um it was still swollen and she went to the doctors here and they told her oh well um it's swollen like it's blood basically inside your knee and um yeah. we can't do anything about it you just have to leave it till it just goes down and she was thinking well that doesn't even make sense because they told her if it had been fluid in the knee they would have drained it off but because it's blood they can't do anything so mm -hmm. um it was really uncomfortable for her and she wanted obviously the the swelling of the knee to go down because like obviously swelling brings its own kind of problems so um she called me to hijama for her and i think i did about three treatments on her but subhanallah like the amount of blood that was coming out and like with the hijama you're not doing any deep incision so had she like had it been fluid for example and you know they they would have to had inject her to um retreat like take the fluid out but with hijama you're doing very shallow incisions so it's just they're superficial incisions on the surface of the skin but still like so much blood like came out from the knee i did like maybe four or five points around the knee each time and alhamdulillah like the swelling like even after the first um session you could see like a massive difference so yeah alhamdulillah like this works it works for a lot of people and you know i've never even um hijama isn't something i've ever promoted as a business even really to be honest because when i first started doing it, it was more of a hobby for me and um, but alhamdulillah i got so many clients um from doing it so alhamdulillah it's been really beneficial that's amazing i'm sure now a lot of sisters will start looking at hijama inshallah inshallah, inshallah. and don't be scared of having hijama because this is one of the things like 
so many like subhanallah i get sisters sometimes they'll call me like or they text me and say oh you know i'd like to have pyjama done and then they'll get scared so then they'll cancel an appointment and then maybe i won't hear anything from them for like a year you know it's been like even a year or two like it's been that long some people leave their problem and then when finally they've heard so many friends or family members have had the hijama and they're telling them you know there's nothing to be scared of just to do it when they finally do it they realize like you know there really isn't anything to be afraid of because I think people think that because of obviously the incisions and stuff, it's like going to be really painful. And like, you know, you're going to be feeling like there's a needle going into you or something like that. It's nothing like that at all. The blade is like the most delicate thing. Um, obviously, if you've got the right therapist, I think most therapists know how to, and it's not like, I haven't had any nightmare stories or anything like that. Most people don't have any issue with the blades because it should feel like very light scratches. So you don't, it doesn't, it doesn't feel uncomfortable. And the suction itself, um, it helps to numb the area. But if anything is painful, usually it's the suction that people complain about. But that can be adjusted as well. So, yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah, I can attest to that. I can attest to that because I've also done hijama and I've mm -hmm. had it done before. And they should not be scared, inshallah, because it's, it's, it's very superficial cuts and you don't yeah. do anything. Yeah, and they're, they're so superficial. This is this is one of, one of the reasons for that is that they will heal very quickly as well and you shouldn't leave any scars or anything like that in your skin inshallah so yeah, yeah it's just it's like funny. yeah it's amazing okay so inshallah back to the topic of your naqaf um i wanted to ask you about traveling how have you found traveling with the naqaf alhamdulillah um it's been it's been okay yeah i've been i've been to a few countries with it and alhamdulillah i have to say it's been really positive i think the only I've been to New Zealand, I've been in Australia with it a bit, mm -hmm. and I've, I didn't have any, like, I can't say I've had any bad experiences with it, to be honest, because I'll be honest with you, I find that the, when it comes to non-Muslim countries, generally, they're very understanding and very courteous, whereas um, the only issue that I've, I, I think, that's quite difficulty, I could say difficulty that I've had is maybe being in Morocco with it, because, like, I just find them just really extra and over the top when it comes to airport security and I don't like that might sound ridiculous to some people but okay for example in the UK when you go to Heathrow Airport you don't get stopped every 10 steps you take and asked to look at your passport but in Morocco yeah. that's how it is and the airport's so tiny like like Tanger Airport is so small you get off at the plane then you go, then like you go to um you know the desk or whatever and it's like you can see the next person that's going to ask you to look at your passport picture so it's like every 10 you know you've got you've got security that they're going to ask to see your um, passport you know the officials that you know the different desk that they're going to ask to see your passport it's like i've never been to any airport where you get to see you get asked to see your passport so many times which i thought was ridiculous and i remember there was one time i was um I was flying back to the UK and um you know we went was boarding and everything like just um getting our boarding passes and stuff and there was a sister in the club like in front of me and she was arguing with the um the guy the brother at the desk basically and she was like she wants to like you know asking for a female because we could see that there was a, a lady um working in the like airport she was like literally just that 10 that 10 steps away okay and she's like, oh, can't this woman just look at my face? Um, she was talking to him in Arabic, you know, I could understand a little bit. But anyways, and then he was saying to her, oh, like, why can't I see? Um, am, I a, am I a kafir? Am I a non-Muslim? And it's just like, 
it's got nothing to do with you being mm -hmm. a Kafir. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, it's, you know, whether Muslim or non-Muslim, it doesn't matter. It's not, it's not anything yeah. to do with that. So he seemed to, I don't know, it was just strange. Like, I thought yeah. his understanding was really ignorant because it's just like, well, she's not mm -hmm. saying you're not Muslim, but you ain't got a right to look at her face because it's not her mahram. Do you know what I mean? Um, um, and then he, he, yeah, Karen. Sorry, no. I think it stems from an insecurity because I've noticed mm. this in a lot of Muslims compared to non-Muslims because non-Muslims, it's not their religion. Yeah. So when you tell them, usually they respect it. But when it's coming, when it's another Muslim you're talking to, sometimes they feel like it's a personal attack on them. Exactly. And, yeah. And their practice of deen. So I find that usually they, they tend to be more stubborn. Supreme. Yeah. Subhanallah. So yeah, he really insisted. And then like, she had to show her face to him. And I was thinking, oh, great. Like, <laughs> but, you know, this is like for me, like, you know, I just like, I just show them my face and that's it. Do you know what I mean? I'm not going to like stand there and arguing about it. But as I said, in the UK and in, um, in other non-Muslim countries, I've never had that issue. They will bring a woman like they see, they spot you and they will make sure they bring a woman over. Do you know what I mean? You know, so they, they do it in advance. Like you don't even have to ask them. Um and in the few cases and in the few cases where there hasn't been a woman and I've had to show the man my face like he doesn't even like you know yeah he check, he'll look at my face to check obviously the ID but it's not he's something he draws out you can tell this person is trying to make it the experience like, as quick as possible do you know what I mean that's upon that's like mm -hmm. with non-Muslims so um yeah like she showed her face then I had to do obviously the same thing and then we walked another 10 steps and then the woman she had to see our face again and then it's just like you just think like it's so ridiculous so i don't know like why they've got that system there. it's just like from you from somebody walks 10 steps they're not going to change their identity do you know what i mean it's just mm -hmm. like <laughs> you think maybe that if they don't they have cameras or anything else in the um in the airport it's so weird that like the way they do things but that that that's annoying um traveling uh for for example it just it just delays everything because yeah. like I, when I last time I came back from from Morocco with my family, like you know my brother had to wait for me because he was just like, what's taking so long? And I was like, yeah, because literally every ten steps I walk, they keep stopping me, and then I'm with my kids, and then I have to show them my passport, and then they will see the kids' passport too, and then it's just like you know it's just ridiculous. So that delayed me, and I remember like coming back, the flight was actually even delayed a little bit because. They was waiting and then when I got outside to get on the plane they was like oh hurry up hurry up and I was just like are you taking the mic like you've just delayed me I've had to stop so many, you've just stopped me so many times just to check my face now you're telling me to hurry up when it's you people that's made this whole situation like extra drawn out do you know what I mean yeah. so ridiculous subhanallah that's mad that's mad yeah. that that's may Allah rectify their affairs amen so you've mentioned that you've been to several countries so have you found the Nepal to be a barrier in the UK or any of the countries that you've been to? Um, a barrier not in the sense that of doing like what I want to do basically um, a barrier obviously in the um, other elements like is it's, it's there for higher isn't it to like preserve modesty and these kind of things and yeah so I, I find it helpful in that way because like helps you not get into things that you don't want to get into and like you know even in the UK for example I don't have a problem if somebody looks at me and thinks oh she can't speak English because when I go outside most of the time I pretend I can't speak English anyways because like for me I just I don't want to get into problems with anybody do you know what I mean when I go outside I'm going out 
for a spe for a specific purpose. I'm not going outside to make friends on the road and socialize, even though like generally where I live, people that are local people know me, like even the supermarkets and things like that, you know, when people see you often, um, people recognize you like, you know, even non-Muslims, like when I go to the supermarket and stuff, a lot of the ladies, you go and you do your shopping, like if they're on the checkout and stuff, you know, you have your little small talk, hello, how are you kind of thing. And, you know, they're smiling, they're friendly because they, you know, they're used to seeing you come in often and stuff like that, you know. So, um, yeah, people, you do get recognized when the niqab. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I used to think it was just how I dressed. Um, but then I, I noticed, yeah. I remember one day I must have got like a new um, abaya and I, I wore it. And I was wearing completely different, like from how I normally wear. And people, I noticed people still like a Subhanallah, a non-Muslim woman that I, I from the fruit and vegetable shop that I usually go to. She saw me from the back, and I was wearing completely different clothes. And she called me because she knows. Do you know what I mean, she's like, "Oh, Sam!" Like I was just like, "Oh, okay." So exactly. she, do you know what I mean, yeah. Think that you can't recognize Nakabis. Yeah. But people can recognize you yeah, through the way you are. Like it's amazing, and I think exactly. it's, I think I think it's like I think it's even deeper than that. You know, I think there's like I don't want to sound like a complete hippie, but like there's a there's a connection between human beings that we experience, which is more than physical. You know, it's like a kind of like soul connection, mental kind of like I don't know like how to express it, but there's some you can feel somebody do you know what I mean there's something about like like the aura or something like that yeah like you feel yeah. these kind of things like people have a way about them because there's been times and most of the time to be honest has been from Muslims um they've been like oh I think I thought I saw you the other day so there, uh, there was a time in Newcastle well well obviously there's there's a few sisters a few black sisters who were the Nakab here most of the sisters in Newcastle who were in the Nakab they're like Bengali Pakistani Asian so um a lot of this a lot of the sisters in the community like they they know me but they don't know a lot of them would don't know other black sisters who are wearing the niqab so mm. there's been a couple of times when they've seen like another black sister wearing the niqab and like then some like a couple of sisters have been like oh i thought i saw you the other day at the bus stop were you at this place da, da, da. and i was sort of like well no and when later on I've realized like because because when I've met those actual sisters they've been like oh um sometimes sisters have talked to them thinking that it was me and like when I've met these sisters like, com like we're completely different like physic physically different you know but different in size you know obviously the clothes everything and the voice and stuff like that it's only when they've talked to them they realize it wasn't me kind of thing so I think it just depends on um from, from in the person yeah like I think some people they're more aware of more um, yeah they're more perceptive than others um I think this is just like a natural kind of thing because I even as I said like pe being noticed from the back and you're fully covered I've noticed this like even you know you this happens with even somebody who's not fully covered for example just somebody wearing regular clothes like you know western clothes or whatever you see the person from the back people often they will know like that is their relative or you know that's their friend they don't have to see the person's face you know to call them out like say oh yeah hey john or you know whatever mm -hmm. do you know what i mean they know that's like it's like they can feel that it's that that person that they know so um yeah it does alhamdulillah like you do get recognized a lot so it's not and it's not even just as i said it's not just your voice or even i don't think it's even just the way that you walk there's something else there you know alhamdulillah so, i think it's 
I don't know what it is, but I 100% agree with you. I think it's just a multitude of, of things that come together that allow people to recognize you. Yeah, definitely. It's that yes. very interesting, and I think it completely destroys people's arguments when they say that if you wear naqab, you know, you're you're becoming a barrier to society, and people won't be able to connect with you, or mm. people won't be able to recognize you. It just completely destroys that whole argument. Yeah, it does. It does, and, and it just it just makes um. It's, 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 it's a way of trying to really simplify something which isn't that simple and make it seem very like superficial you know because as i said there's a deeper connection between human beings that takes place when you meet somebody when you greet somebody you know it's more than just a physical thing so but i think you know this is how the society is people don't really want to think past the superficial you know and everything has to be like so easy and convenient you know just like the fast um the fast food you know it's like oh yeah, if i can't if i can't see you straight away then it's like oh okay then never mind kind of thing but alhamdulillah. yeah so i wanted to ask you have you found that you've been treated differently from other sisters who wear the hijab treated differently um I think I, I I think in the in the sense in a positive sense, but in a sense at the same time that I don't really like that much. Okay, so in and that's in um, people think that I'm I've got so much knowledge about Islam, for example. Okay, and that's like mm-hmm. something that I'm afraid of basically, because you know being somebody who like I said Muhammad Tim was my teacher for quite like a few years alhamdulillah and I really love learning about Islam and stuff like that. But like for a long time now, I haven't been able to like really you know go deep in the um, like you know islamic studies like i like i really like um like i really enjoy doing and inshallah hopefully i'm looking to pick it up again more but um yeah like it's just people have this perception that yeah you know so much about the religion and they want to come and ask you questions or you know they see you and they ask you to make dua for them and i notice that they don't necessarily do that with somebody who isn't wearing the niqab you know so if it was if it was that they you know some people have that habit naturally they just ask anybody or everybody like that's Muslim to make dua for them I don't have an issue with that but I see that like it's not like that you get single the time. yeah basically which, yeah and you know I think this just generally not even from me personally but I think in the Muslim community this is something dangerous because we have like a, a culture of putting people on a pedestal and believing that you know this specific person because they're so-called pious that you know if they make dua for them then you know their problem should go away or you know their their situation is going to change or something like that when the reality is the best person who can make dua for you is your own self you know so this is something like you know you need to make effort in your religion for yourself as an individual and everybody has their own sins and you don't know what somebody's sins are just because they might look religious or look good um in your eyes doesn't mean that they are you know and and I'm not saying that I'm a bad person but you know I mean like I try to be as best as I can obviously but yeah this this kind of thing is is scary because like when you think about the day of judgment like you don't know like what's you know everybody's gonna have to face Allah for themselves you know I mean you know and I don't want to I don't want to become somebody who like you know gets a big head and thinks like oh like yeah you know I'm I'm such and such you know I mean so this is something yeah (laughs) on that because I also find it's very dangerous mm. for the sisters who are wearing naqab because it can also mess with their intentions. Oh, definitely. So you will yeah. find that 
because people put them on a pedestal. People think you've memorized the entire Quran, you know, mm. all the hadith. So then usually you'll find sisters who haven't memorized the Quran or haven't reached the level that they want to reach. They, subhanAllah, they, they're, they're, they're ashamed just to go seek knowledge yeah. because the pedestal that they're put on, they don't want people to think, you don't know that already. Yeah. You haven't yeah. memorized that already. Subhanallah. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really, really dangerous to put women who wear niqab on a pedestal because Allah knows we're all struggling. Yeah. We're all struggling yeah. and that this is just something that is a mercy from Allah that we have been able to wear. But it doesn't mean that we're better than anybody else. Yeah, so subhanAllah. And, you know, I never even thought about it from that angle that you just mentioned. You know, so it's like, yeah, and it's it's just it's not even that, but I suppose like the as well with the deeds that you do, like it's it's better to like hide even your good deeds, and mm-hmm. obviously like wearing the abaya or the jilbab or niqab, all these things, these are outward acts of worship that we do. Just like even doing the salah, for example, like if you go to the masjid and you pray, these kind of things, people that can see that you're doing these things. But the it's the deeds that are hidden. Those are the ones that, like, you know, are really beloved to Allah because they're just between you and Him. Do you know what I mean? It's not like it's yeah. not something that you go around showing off with. But even somebody that's wearing the niqab, they could be wearing it just to show off. Do you know what I mean? You know, okay. and just to impress other people. So and Allah But like, that's not why we want to wear it. That's not why we should be wearing it. But this is something that could happen even after somebody's been wearing it for years or, you know, however many period of time. It could be something that corrupts the intentions, like you say, do you know what I mean? So we need to be careful about stuff like that. Because like, even sometimes, that's very true. I find that some sisters even take it off mm-hmm. just because of the pressure, yeah. just because of the pedestal. And they think, and Shaitan deceives them into thinking they're not good enough to wear it anymore. That because of their falling into some sin, that they shouldn't be wearing it, subhanAllah. Mm. And I find that this is one of the biggest tricks of shaitan. Definitely. Because like you mentioned, when I asked about, is naqab a barrier? And you said it is a barrier to everything that is haram, mm. or that you don't want into your life. I find that when even when sisters are in low points of their iman, when they keep their naqab on, it protects them from yes. so much. definitely. From so much. And it allows, and it prevents them from falling into even more haram. So by them taking it off, listening to shaitan, they put themselves in an even worse situation. Yeah, it definitely just opens you right up to it, you know, because everybody has their low points. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just dangerous, do you know what I mean? And it's like, it's, and this is, you know, when it comes to the riyah showing off, this is another type of showing off that, or doing something for the sake of the creation that people don't seem to realize they're falling into because, you know, we don't want to do good deeds for the sake of the creation. We need to do everything good for the sake of Allah. But if you do something or you don't do something because of the creation and you know that you should be doing that thing to please Allah, this is another trap, basically, you're falling into. So you can't say, for example, oh, well, I don't want to give charity um, because um, people will see that I'm giving charity here and then, you know, that that means that they're going to think of me as this and as that. No, you know, you're not supposed to be thinking about what other people think of you. If, if that's if Allah's given you the ability to give this particular charity and you have to and you have to do it in such a way that it is public that people can see, you have to you have to still do that. You know, you shouldn't you shouldn't not do it because people can see that you're doing it because you, then you're letting the people get in the way of you know that thing that Allah has put in your way to do that you should be doing for His sake. So this is like you know it's just like this is a it's another test basically it's another form of you know 
being tried. I agree too. And I find, subhanAllah, there's a hadith where the Prophet says that um, Riyah is, is so hidden. It's as mm. if it's black. It's as if it's a black night and there's a black stone and yeah. it's like a black ant on the black mm -hmm. stone. It's so hidden. And yeah. I find, subhanAllah, a lot of people struggle with it because it shows up in many many facets of people's lives mm -hmm. and there's a hadith and there's a dua that people should inshallah try to memorize hopefully find on the internet and find the Arabic because Allah I seek refuge in you from making shirk with you while I know mm -hmm. and I seek refuge refuge in you in you from making shirk whilst I don't know which yeah. is basically the yeah subhanallah yeah um so, so I, inshallah I wanted to ask you also um if you ever found anybody or you know sisters um, who've been forced to wear the niqab or who no. isn't allowed to wear it? I haven't, found, I haven't met any sisters who have been forced ever, um, alhamdulillah, but um, sisters who want to wear it and they're not allowed loads, basically, loads of them. And a lot of the time it's, the, it's always the husband who doesn't want them to wear it or maybe their family members don't want them to wear it because, oh, it's extreme and this kind of thing you know this kind of interpretations that people have about wearing it so and it's you know young girls a lot of the time or married women and maybe they maybe they went into the into the marriage and they wasn't even wearing hijab for example then but then mm -hmm. after being married they started wearing the hijab and then they decided they wanted to wear the niqab and the husband was like well now i don't need to wear it so they you know it makes them quite miserable to be honest with you so um yeah, Allah make it easy for them. I wanted to also ask you, uh, what does the naqab mean to you? I think freedom, to be honest, because there's a lot of things that I probably would feel too shy to do if I didn't wear it, because I'm a really shy person. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think it's freedom in that sense, and for me it's just like it's part of having a new, a new life as a muslim as well yeah, yeah. and having that choice because i um i was married um for about six years and um during the marriage like this is part of the reason why i didn't wear the niqab earlier as well i think i mean i don't want to blame like ex-husbands or anything but yeah it wasn't something that i was really kind of encouraged in i did want and i did like obviously i said i wanted to wear it since i became muslim so um yeah i think yeah i would have it would have been something i would have liked to do a lot earlier but um yeah so i think it's just it's freedom like you to express yourself how you want as a muslim woman and as well like a lot of the time it's freedom in a sense because a lot of the time you are going against the grain by wearing it that's what i've experienced personally you know even with muslims i remember like there's been a couple of times in the masjid okay so like it's the Muslims that usually have the issue with the niqab. I've been to the masjid, um, this is some years ago. I think I'd been wearing the niqab maybe a couple of years and I went to the masjid. It was during Ramadan as well. And the sister, like after the Taraweeh prayers, she came up to me and she said, um, Haram alaykum. And I was just like, what? Yeah, she just said, Haram alaykum. And I was just thinking, okay, she goes, For wearing oh, the Yes, for wearing the niqab, yeah. She told me haram alaykum. So I was just like, all right then. And she's an older sister, you know, like auntie type, innit? So like, mm -hmm. I was kind of a bit stunned. Like I was thinking like, how can she say such a thing? Like in my mind, like, you know, when somebody yeah. makes a statement and your mind starts doing all these kind of like almost fireworks. And I, yeah. And I was just like, 
how can you say such a thing like and she, and she goes oh yeah we've got a lot more things to be doing before we start doing this and I was just like and there was another sister there as well and she so she said it like in front of another sister and even the other sister like her face like her eyes just kind of like went like like wide you know like she was so shocked like she said something like that and I was just like just and then you know she just kind of said that and it's just and then she just kind of like walked off basically you know it's just like yeah basically and I was just thinking like okay just what what do you say to that I couldn't believe it I was just thinking it's Ramadan we're in the masjid we've just prayed and then you're coming and making this kind of statement like okay like I just yeah it's just like subhanAllah like you know may Allah guide her I mean this is like yeah I was really quite shocked and then um another time it was during this is during Ramadan as well a few years later and this is from um, an Arab sister I think maybe from Yemen or somewhere I don't know which country but we finished praying and then like she was she didn't speak English so um, she kept saying something and she was looking at me and then basically her daughter um, like because she was like she kept insisting because her daughter must I think her daughter was arguing back at her like telling her like you know just like you know you don't need to say anything just leave like the sister alone but she kept insisting her her daughter like tell her tell tell me what she's saying and then um the daughter was like oh she's telling she's saying that oh you're in England you don't need to cover your face you shouldn't you don't need to dress like that because you're in England and um I just said to her well it's my choice I said I've been born here and raised here I'm a convert like I wear what I want basically I said nobody's forcing me to dress like this so do you know what I mean it's up to me how I dress so like do you know what I mean and I just thought like why she you know she seemed really quite like you know in her kind of way like oh you know you, you don't need to wear this because you're in the UK now and it's not going to be safe for you to wear and I said well it is safe and I'm wearing it so mm. yeah I mean so, um, inshallah, I want to ask you what your advice is to sisters who are thinking of wearing menqab. Um, Well, I always give this advice, um, and this basically, you know, make du'a first of all. Pray about it. If you if you really want to wear it, make du'a that Allah makes it easy for you. And um, research it as well, because I think this is a really important element, um, that you look into the reasons or the evidences behind the niqab. And a uh, sister previously that I did interview, I think it was Sister Gillian, she said i think it was said that or um a couple of sisters have given this book i haven't read this book myself but it's the um the four essays on the veiling um so that's a highly recommended book by quite a lot of sisters so i would advise you read that or because obviously it's a collection I'm, I'm assuming it would be a collection of evidences anyway so it'll make your life easier if you can get your hands on that book and if you can't get your hands on that book then just go on the islam q a and look up the um look up niqab and read about the different evidences for the niqab because contrary to what a lot of muslims think um it is something from islam it's not a cultural thing and there's a difference of opinion whether it's obligatory or not not that oh you just it's, you know it's just a sunnah because this is something i actually find irritating when people who don't wear the niqab for example or who don't think it's necessary because it's just a sunnah and this statement itself is disgusting actually because if you say something's just a sunnah what, what does just a sunnah mean to you it's like what does that mean like it's nothing it's not important you know what i mean like subhanallah there's people 
who have been possessed with jinn and you know afflicted with all sorts of things because they didn't practice just the sunnah do you know what i mean like when you go to the bathroom for example it's just a sunnah to say the dua before you go to the bathroom you know it's just a sunnah to make dua before you eat food it's just a sunnah do you know what i mean these things are not obligatory but when you do them there's a protection and there's a reason why we've been told to do them by prophet muhammad but as i said it's not something that if you leave it off that you've fallen into sin so the just sunnah things that we seem to think is irrelevant are actually very relevant in our daily lives every day. So we shouldn't be dismissing these things. And even if you think it's just a sunnah, you should still try to do it because maybe it's going to bring a benefit into your life, which you never knew. And I'm not talking specifically about the niqab itself. I'm talking, to, talking about anything that you think is just a sunnah because really our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu you know, was the best of all the prophets. He's the Habib Allah, you know, like, yeah. subhanAllah. He, Allah sent him as the last it. messenger. Like, he, he's, he spent his whole life, you know, going through things so that we can practice just a sunnah. Exactly. Now, I mean, like, it's just like... In the context of the Sahaba. Yeah. They did not think of anything as small. They did not make anything exactly. small. Whatever the Prophet did, they did. Whatever he told them to do, they did. Regardless, they did not think, is this sunnah, is this wajib, they did at all, because as you mentioned, he is Uswatul Hasana, he is the best, exactly. the best, so we should follow him in everything and not, you know, belittle the sunnah or think, oh, it's just sunnah, I'm going to leave it off. SubhanAllah, yeah, and this is, this is for me what's brought the ummah to this state now. Everything, everything is just a sunnah, so, oh yeah, therefore you just don't have to do it. And, you know, for somebody who's, you know, just come into the religion, or somebody who hasn't been practicing previously, they didn't know much about the deen. Okay, you know, some, you, know, you don't want somebody to become overwhelmed and take things too hard on themselves. But, you know, for people who've been Muslim their whole lives, or you've been practicing Islam for a long time, and you're still going to say, oh, it's just a sunnah. Therefore, like, you know, it's just this kind of dismissive way of saying something. If you can't do it, then that's your, you know, that's your weakness. That's your kind of... You know, that's between you and Allah. I'm not here to judge people, but we shouldn't be so dismissive. Do you know what I mean? Because this is something, it's important. Anything that is sunnah is beneficial to us, you know? Because when we leave the sunnah, this is when we're having a lot of difficulties in our lives because we're not following the sunnah like we should be following. And when you start implementing more of the sunnah, you will see the fruits of that in your in your daily life, you know? And it's, it's this is day-to-day -day things you'll find. Yeah. You know, as well exactly. as the bigger things. Yes. Exactly. And I hope that, inshallah, sisters don't misconstrue what has been said, mm -hmm. because um, I'm sure we're talking about people who, who are, you know, diminishing or belittling the sunnah, because there's a lot of sisters who can't do a lot of sunnah of because course. they're too weak at the moment, or mm -hmm. they don't want to overburden themselves. So, inshallah, nobody overburden themselves, but we're just talking about people who just diminish and say, who cares, you know, yeah. who cares, it's just a sunnah, like, I don't have to do it. And the thing is, the reality is, people say these things without knowledge, and this is the scary thing for me, because if you did really know, you would never say something like that, and this is really important, do you know what I mean? Like, our religion is not something that we can just make up on the fly you know something we have to learn about properly and if you don't know something then don't like just be humble do you know what i mean say you don't know and that's it you don't need to bring an opinion that has no basis you know and this is what a lot of people do like you know I've, on the facebook i've had this experience with some sisters when i've shared some of the um the podcasts um posts or 
post from the Instagram, for example, sisters like, oh, well, Nick, I was just a sinner anyway. So, you know, and, and then they make some kind of statement. And it's just like, well, who are you to say that it's just a sinner? And like, where's your evidences for that? And we, and at the end of the day, my point is that it's not just the sunnah. The sunnah is like, you know, there's difference of opinion. It's either obligatory or it's highly recommended. This is the scholarly stance on it. So you can't get away with saying it's just the sunnah. It's actually something, you know, it's quite revered in the religion. So let's like stop belittling things. And as I said, that's not the only thing that Muslims belittle in the religion as well. So we need to take these things as being important and respect yeah. respect the religion because like why should it be a case where we seem to like experience non-muslims even <laughs> a lot of non-muslims they have more respect for islam than we do sometimes do you know what i mean like if you think about like in the uk for example you'll get places of work where you know i've spoken to sisters and their workplaces because they know that they're muslim they'll go out of their way to make a prayer space for them and how many how many Muslim how many Muslim um, businesses will do the same thing? And and, and it, it does happen that you find Muslim businesses you don't even you might not even have a wudu facilities. I remember being in Morocco, for example, and going to use um, a restaurant. They didn't even have water to clean or even toilet roll. And I was just thinking, well, who can use this toilet? And this is supposed to be a Muslim country. So you know things like that you experience in a Muslim country, and you think, well, what's going on here? You know, how can it be acceptable to go to a bathroom in a Muslim country, but there's not even a pot so you can put water in to clean yourself or tissues either to clean yourself? Like, how can you how can you go to the bathroom then? And this is this is something. This is the basics. Yeah, subhanAllah. Yeah, subhanAllah. It's not it's not male. So you mentioned that one of your advices was for sisters to gain some knowledge on the topic. So I wanted to ask, what if sisters say, why should I? What's the reason? Why should they uh, look into it more? Um, you, every sister is responsible for herself in learning about her religion. It's not your husband's responsibility or your dad or your brother. It's your own responsibility because we will stand alone before Allah on the Day of Judgment. So the Niqab is just another element of that. If we want to do it as part of our religion, or, or you know, it's in our hearts that we feel like, yeah, it's something we want to do. It's in your heart for a reason. So you need to take that responsibility to learn so that when, you know, you are picked at by somebody who's going to tell you that it's just a sunnah, then you can say, well, actually this is the hadith, this is the evidence, you know, this is the ayat in the Quran, and this is the interpretation, you know, this is the tafsir of the ayat. You can actually give them those, you know, refutations by yourself. And then that person, if they continue to, you know, badger you or like, you know, try to be defensive against you, it's not you that they're fighting against, they're fighting against the Quran and the Sunnah. Do you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. you don't need to, you don't, don't let yourself be put into a position to make your iman weak because this these things kind of things when you don't have knowledge this is what makes your iman weak you know we live in a time when people love to talk about spiritualism and all this kind of you know mumbo jumbo -y stuff that's what i'll call it yeah and and i i'm as i said like me i'm i do believe that yeah people connect on deep level past like a physical element and all this kind of thing definitely well you know meeting of the minds of the souls or whatever this kind of things so I'm not going to be completely dismissive of it, but there's a lot of things that is just like, you know, making people feel like, oh, you know, being spiritual is like, you know, sitting in a dark room and contemplating like till like you feel like, I don't know, something taking over you or something. I don't know. People have these kind of weird 
ways that they feel that they're being like they're getting deep for example or spiritual but the reality is do you know what the more you learn about this religion the more deep you're going to realize it is and then you will feel like that kind of element of being enlightened over and over again the more you learn about the deen if you if you don't learn about your religion you won't feel that that's the only the, the knowledge getting the knowledge of the religion is the only true way to have that real spiritual connection that you want that's it it's only going to come from there and this is what people are lacking you know you become muslim you feel like oh mashallah like this is like amazing you feel like you know enlightened you've come to islam and then like after some time your iman will go down you know when you learn more things it picks you up again like you like you know the more you not learn about the deen your your iman will be lifted and it's because you understand from the point of facts actual knowledge real knowledge this is this is something you build you know it's like a solid foundation that you keep building on so the more knowledge you build in your religion in your faith that you have this understanding in your mind the more your brain will open up and you'll see things in a more enlightened way you know but if you don't have that knowledge then it's always going to be difficult for you and then when people come to ask you these kind of questions and they're going to ask you without you being like they're not going to know you're not going to know somebody's going to just ask you a question people always put you on the spot this is how it is so not, and not everybody has a personality where they're able to just respond to somebody on the fly you know a lot of people like especially if you're a shy person like myself you have to have a good amount of knowledge and even experience in order to be able to answer certain questions that people are asking you even if you know for yourself you know being able to respond to somebody sometimes it can be very difficult because you're just being put on the spot so it's important to look into these things properly and then you have that confidence that you know you're going forward based on actual knowledge you know that you've gained yourself it wasn't oh this person told me you know and this is because this can be dangerous too like sometimes we just rely on what other people are telling us and that something that other somebody told us it might not even be factual you know but we we spend that we you know become lazy and you spend a lot of time just relying on the knowledge or the hearsay of this person and that person this is not what our religion is you know we have to really try to learn so you know look for people who are knowledgeable and try to learn from them inshallah yeah, subhanAllah, barakallah, fiki, that was, that was brief, thank you for that. Okay, thank you, sister, thank you for uh, sharing with us today, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, jazakallah khair for agreeing to interview me. That was, mashallah, really nice, and thanks for your time, taking this time to, to do that, alhamdulillah. Um, no, it was my honour, thank you so much for having me. Mashallah, you've been a really good um, presenter, yeah, alhamdulillah, yeah. <laughs> SubhanAllah, shukran, shukran, sister. Thank Ahwan. you so much for even giving me this opportunity and alhamdulillah. 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 So um, this is this is um, you, uh, this is poetic MD because you didn't introduce yourself at the beginning actually. But um, sister poetic MD, um, you can also listen to her um podcast um episode where I interview her about her experiences in the Naqab. I think that's episode episode four. I think it was. If I'm right. Yeah. But I'll put I'll I'll put a link <laughs> yeah. in the description. Inshallah. Inshallah, okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay. Wa iyaki sister. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.